name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. In Bible study this week, we're in the Gospel of Matthew, chapter 8. We read that passage that we've all heard, which is our Lord responding to someone who says, I'll go with you wherever you go. He says, foxes have holes and the birds of the air have nests, but the Son of Man has no place to lay his head. This was true from the very beginning of Christ's life. On this, the eve of our Lord's nativity, Joseph was searching for a place to stay for him and his betrothed, Mary. They had arrived in Bethlehem. They were looking, looking, looking to find a place to stay, knowing that she was due with child. And we all know where this goes, but eventually they found that cave in the manger, And this humble place is where our Lord first laid his head. The God of the universe is revealed to be the God of extreme humility. The hymns of this season speak to this, revealing to us the magnitude of his condescension. Last night in the Vesper service, there was this hymn that began by saying, By Caesar's decree you were enrolled. So when I heard that, I was thinking... Joseph and Mary, they were enrolled. No, it goes, by Caesar's decree, you were enrolled with your servants when you came to earth, O Christ, in your tender love. Christ, the creator of the universe, was enrolled in a census. He submitted the world, the king of the entire universe to a worldly king to do what the Caesar wanted. And so the creator of the universe was enrolled in a census. And on Friday in the royal hours service, where there are the most beautiful and profound theological hymns, perhaps of the entire year, mark your calendars for next year if you weren't able to go. Here is one of the highlights, this hymn, the Doxastikon of the ninth hour. And listen to the humility of our Lord. Today, he who holds the whole world in the hollow of his hand is born of the virgin. He is wrapped in swaddling clothes as a mortal, he who is in his essence no no one can touch. God is lying in a manger, he who established the heavens in the beginning. He is fed on milk from his mother's breast, he who rained down manna on the people in the wilderness. He is summoning the Magi, he who is the bridegroom of the church. And he is accepting their gifts now as the son of the virgin. We worship your birth, O Christ. Let us behold your divine theophany. These hymns that the church gives us teach us how to know and how to love Christ. The hymns of the church truly teach us everything that we need to know. This is our God, the God who is an ineffable paradox, the all-powerful one who abases himself, and not just once, but his entire life, his entire journey on earth was a perpetual condescension from Bethlehem all the way to Golgotha. Christ being crucified is the apex of his humility on the icon of Christ that we have in the altar, crucified Christ. Many times, there's an inscription above it that does not say the king of the Jews, 
but rather says, the King of glory. This is the revelation of the King of glory as the one who's crucified on the cross. Today, we're not yet there. We're in a cave where there's a manger. Tonight, when the feast begins with the vigil, at the end of the service, the priest says, may he who condescended to be born in a cave and lay in a manger, Christ our true God. And in this whole season, we end the services with, may he who condescended to be born in a cave and lay in a manger. And then when we get to Theophany in a few weeks here, may he who condescended to be baptized by John in the Jordan. His condescension, his humility is continually brought to our attention, continually brought before us. And this is what we give him, a cave, a manger, a young girl. And God accepts these, even these, and he transforms them. In the Vespers, this is what was said of Mary, that young girl, who we as humanity offer. It said, O oh, all blameless virgin, you are called the palace of our God, for you contained the one whom the heavens are unable to contain. In the cave you bore him incomprehensibly. She became the palace. And likewise, God enters the cave and lays in the cave, in the manger, and transforms them. Everywhere that Christ goes, he transforms. Here at the church, we have our own cave, which is inside the altar. And those gates that open and shut, they're usually open here during the service. They're called the beautiful gates. Now, they're not called the beautiful gates because the gates themselves are so beautiful. They're called the beautiful gates because they're the entryway into this incredible paradise where our God has made his abode. Because he has made his abode here in the altar. And it reminds us of that which we cannot see with our physical eyes. Just like in Bethlehem. In Bethlehem, there was just another cave, another place that people stored animals, more animals in that cave, a manger, this humble little family that couldn't find a place to stay, and so they stayed in the manger. With our physical eyes, there's nothing special. Likewise, even with the altar, even though it's adorned, with our physical eyes, we still can't see what actually is there. We can't see what is actually occurring. When Christ enters, everything is sanctified. The cave of his birth, the cave of each church's altar, and also the cave of our own heart. This is where Christ must rest and take up his abode. Our meager little human heart, our noose, can become the throne of God. We too can become a palace, just as the mother Mary became a palace. And this is what we pray. For those of you who prepared for communion, you read these prayers, maybe last night or maybe this morning. Lord my God, I know that I am not worthy nor sufficient that you should come under the roof of the house of my soul. For it is entirely desolate and in ruins, and you do not have a worthy place in me to lay your head. But as you humbled yourself from on high for our sake, do likewise also for my unworthiness, 
And as you willed in the cave to lie in a manger of dumb animals, take it upon yourself now to enter the manger of my dumb soul and into my soiled body. And again, the fourth prayer of preparation says, I am not worthy, sovereign Lord, for you to come under the roof of my soul. Yet because of your love for all people, you wish to dwell in me. I boldly come. Command that the gates open, which you alone made, and you will come in with your love toward all people. We too can have beautiful gates, the gates of our soul, in which Christ dwells. Because this is the profound gift that God has given us and continues to give us. We can be zealous to provide a home for Christ. In one of the Psalms of the Royal Hours, it was Psalm 131 was read. And it said, Remember David, how he swore to the Lord and vowed to the mighty one of Jacob, Surely I will not go into the chamber of my house or go up to the comfort of my bed. I will not give sleep to my eyes or slumber to my eyelids until I find a place for the Lord, a dwelling place for the mighty one of Jacob. And further on it said, Arise, O Lord, to your resting place. This is the resting place of God if we make it as such. So how do we make this the resting place of God? How does our soul become a manger and therefore become a palace? Well, we have to clean things up a little bit. We have to clean things up quite a bit. Because there's no room for him. Instead, our soul is like the inn. There's no room for him because we have many other things that are much more important. Many other things. Think over the course of a given day. How much of that day is a day in which we're inviting our Lord to dwell in our heart? How much of it instead is a day in which we're inviting other customers into the inn? Sometimes inviting customers in that are causing a wreck to the inn. So our first and primary work as Christians, as human beings, is to get the garbage out of our soul. I was talking with someone earlier this week who was mentioning about how, you know, seeing the homeless encampments and all the junk and trash that's around, and he said, I have all the trash in my house. I have a house to put all my trash in. That's how we are. Sometimes we run into people where the trash of their soul is coming out, we go, oh. But we, as functional human beings, we hide all of the trash inside of ourselves. That's not the goal. The goal is not to have a house where we can keep all the garbage inside, but rather to get the garbage out. And so what is that work of getting the garbage out? It's repentance. It's saying, God, I have this in me, and I don't want it anymore. And that work of repentance is a perpetual work. Because when is it that our house is fully cleaned? Not in this life. So it's a perpetual journey. But the beautiful thing is the more that we take out and give to God, the more that he enters in. The more that we're cleaning out the trash, the more that he comes in. I've said this before. This is the basic equation of human life. We give God our trash. He gives us his grace. We don't give him our virtue. We don't give him our gifts. We don't give him our good works. Because all of those are his already. 
that he's done through us. We have one gift that we can give him, which is all of our garbage. And the beautiful thing is that's what he wants. He wants our garbage. Why? Because he wants to take it away from us, banish it from us, and enter into our soul. So in this season, it may be a cliche, but let us make our soul into that cave, into that manger that receives Christ. This is what the church is teaching us through its beautiful hymns, that we can become just like the Theotokos, that we can receive Christ into us, and as we receive Christ, we become transformed. Amen.